0: Welcome to the Learning with Lowell podcast. I am Lowell Thompson, and my lifelong love of learning saved my life. A few years ago, I was in and out of the ER and ICU with no end in sight due to, at the time, a mysterious illness. I read medical journals, talked to scientists and researchers, and learned how to develop a good treatment plan, all of which put me on the path to becoming healthy, which I am now. I have met the team responsible for creating the drug that saved my life. And now I'm taking my experiences and love of learning and translating them into interviews with experts, CEOs, and scientists in order to achieve three goals in every episode, to have fun and interesting conversations that are enjoyable to listen to, to learn what these people are developing and creating, to hear what their tactics, strategies, tools, books, and resources they use to accomplish what they were doing, so that you can learn, apply, and see what else is out there and enrich your life with every episode. Before we get started, I want to draw attention to a crowdfunding campaign that I'm going to be starting. I've been doing this podcast for so many years, and I know a lot of you have been enjoying my content, asking for ways you can give back and help out. This is going to be a big one that you can do. In the show notes, you're going to see a link to a website that's going to show you what I'm working on, kind of the concept, the vision that I'm working with. And if you sign up, if you share it with your friends, you'll get a chance, even if you don't partake in the crowdfunding campaign, to win what I'm, I'm making. And what I'm making is an advanced modern hive that'll make it so bees can live and thrive, beekeepers and bee researchers can be connected through data and sensory units put inside the hive so that you can know what's going on in your hive 24-7. So it's easier, there's less confusion, and much, much, much more, but I don't want to get into that now without just check the show notes sign up tell your friends it's really easy it's gonna be a lot of fun and i can't do this without your help so please help me out and you can see that by going to monoliths.kickoffpages.com that's m-o-n-o-l-y-t-h-s.kickoffpages.com and see more about it thanks for coming and let's learn about who's our guest today Today, we're joined with Mark Winston. He is a Canadian biologist, writer, professor of apiculture and social insects at Simon Fraser University. He spent much of his career studying bees until becoming a founder of the director of the Center for Dialogue in 2006. He has written a bunch of great books. I've I've checked out most of them. There's a couple that weren't at my local library, and I'm cheap like that using the Libby app. So uh, you can check out Bee Time, The Biology of the Honeybee, Nature Wars, and Killer Bees. So today in this episode, and you can check them out at winstonhive.com. And that's W-I-N-S-T-O-N-H-I-P-E.com. And yet those will be in the show notes as well. So today we're gonna to get into really what got him to beekeeping and get a sense of what he gets from beekeeping. It's more of an emotional journey we're gonna go on, though we're gonna learn a lot as well. And you can kind of if you've been on the fence about joining in beekeeping or you've been wanting to learn more about beekeeping, you can see like what it feels like to be a beekeeper from Mark. He has a, a great way of talking, it's very quiet and relaxing, kind of like hanging out with bees. So I think if you listen to him, and you wonder what it's like to be bees. It's it kind of like that. It's very relaxing. So, kick back, listen, and let's uh, get the show on the road. Uh, from the 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 various talks and interviews from like the pollination episode, uh, I've and I mean, looking at your life, there's gonna be an, an intro before this. But for most people coming in, like you've dedicated a lot of your life to communicating to others, uh, list you know, listening to bees and figuring out what's going on with them. And so I'm curious. If, um, if you've, because uh, you interact with so many different groups, like from uh, beekeepers to bee researchers, to general public, to uh, urban beekeepers, have you found that there's things about beekeeping that tends to resonate with everyone that also resonates with you?
1: Yeah, it's amazing when you start talking about bees. Uh, quickly, somebody says, you know, I remember my, uh, my old uncle down on the farm used to keep bees. Or my aunt or my grandmother used to keep bees, or I've always wanted to keep bees. I've just been so interested in them. Uh, there is something about bees that um, really connects with people. I don't. Some of it I'm sure is their social behavior. You know, they are social like us, and I think we can relate to that. But people also relate to solitary bees, just single bees buzzing around flowers. I think we get the interaction between bees and the environment that's so important for maintenance of a healthy ecology and bees feel like they're part of a system. And by paying attention to them, it makes us feel like reminds us that we're part of a system too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, um, I know, uh, one of the things I always bump up into when I talk to people about bees and maybe this is something that you've experienced. So like people always, they confuse bees with like hornets, which like, they look different. Uh, hornets are jerks, but, but like a bee, so like on my farm, I'd have people come out and there'd be like a bee going about their day. And I would just like, I'd walk up and I'd like gently poke it off the flower. And the bee always makes like this really kind of cute noise and it goes by to stay. And then usually people relax, like bees are not jerks. They're really nice people. Uh, Well, insects. And um, like, they don't really go out of their way to harm people, which I think is like another thing, like just like dispelling like a myth that's out there. Like they don't really, besides like maybe the Africanized ones, if the most part, like they're really gentle. And I think that's also something that like helps people gravitate towards them and you've talked about this as well in a number of your uh, interviews is like this uh i do that they're kind of calm and they're mysterious and so they're kind of like when you're around them it's almost like a relaxing thing like it's because i guess you have to like if you're not relaxed then they kind of respond to that and then they get grumpy but i don't know if like after all these years of working with bees and talking with people when you go to a bee yard does has your Has has being around them changed from like the day like the first time you went out there versus now? Like, are you able to appreciate them in a different way, or does is it still like that mysterious, kind of like a relaxing situation that you find when you go out there?
1: It's a bit of both. Uh, The first time I was around bees, it was amazing. I just felt calm, like I had met my future, and I'm still like that around bees. Part of my brain just turns off when I'm in the bee world and I just relax and um, just feel what's going on with the bees and their rhythm. But having spent many decades working with bees and researching them, I've also developed a deeper appreciation and understanding. So when initially I really got the feel of the social cohesion, now I understand a lot of the ways that it works and that really enriches my, uh, my experience.
0: What um. I don't know if you've ever brought anyone out to a yard with you recently, but is there a way that you see new people interacting with them that uh, that like differs with how you interact with them now? Like,
1: um, I don't think most of us realize how deeply we are affected by the how the people around us are reacting. I often show I often work with groups that have never been around bees before and we open up the hive and we show them what's going on inside. And uh, I just did one last couple of weeks ago with a group called Hives for Humanity, which is a group that's working in our very impoverished part of town uh, in an area that has a lot of health issues, addiction, mental, mental health kinds of problems, homelessness, to bring a sense of community and bees have that sense of community. So You take people off the streets and they go into a nice little park and there's a bee yard there, and I'm calm and I'm opening the bees, and when I talk about it and the way I act, people really pick up on that. Uh, If you're a nervous beekeeper and you're dropping frames and you're wearing all kinds of clothes and you're acting like you're worried about getting stung and everybody around you is gonna do the same thing, but if you act like the bees, if you act in this calm, gentle, um, I'm really tuned into what's going on manner, it's amazing how quickly people approach the hive. No veils, no gloves, just uh, curiosity. Mm. Uh, how calm we are really um, influences how calm the people around us are.
0: That's uh, that's really true. Uh, um, I don't know if you or if you're familiar with this, but there's some research that came out recent I don't know, recently, like like five years, where that um, they found that like dogs and cats when they're around humans release chemicals that makes them like relax more. And when humans are around dogs and cats, like they tend to. Like release some chemicals to make us chill out more as well. I wonder if like, there's like something to that in terms of like being around bees. Cause like we've had, we've, we've been beekeepers as a people for I know, like at least 10,000 years. I think there, it goes back to like the ancient Egyptians with mead. Um, I wonder if there's like any type of connection like that, like that touches on like what it's like to be out there and like, and that calming effect that uh, translates over to like how it affects other people.
1: It's both explainable and mystical. Mm-hmm. I can tell you lots of science about why people might be calm around bees, but um, it's also a mystical thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, bees have this magical power to us that um, we pick up on. Uh, the ways that we interact with bees are, are so far below our conscious surface. I don't think we really understand a lot of the ways that we perceive things. Mm-hmm. We smell things, we taste things, we see motion, but there are subtle ways that we detect how we act with each other and how we act with bees, that um, maybe a thousand years from now, science will have a better handle on it.
0: Hmm. But
1: I'm really um, intrigued by the mysteries of the universe that we don't know. One of those big mysteries is how do we perceive so many things so quickly? Uh, There's channels of perception that we're just not aware of.
0: Hmm. And when
1: you study bees, you have an opportunity to study some of those channels. So we learn a lot about how bees detect electromagnetic waves we know a lot about how they detect chemicals. We know about their motion detection. We know how they pass information around through the hive. So by studying them, we get a sense of some of the mysteries of our own communication that we have yet to get um, to uncover.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you, you probably are familiar with this, but for anyone listening, these are some good book recommendations, but have you checked out, uh, I think it's called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. He touches on this idea that there's like, there's a lot of things that we get, really quickly through our subconscious that we, it takes time to like figure out. Are you familiar with that book? I don't know. I feel like you would be. It's, um, Blink by uh, Malcolm Gladwell.
1: Yeah, no, I know the book and I know Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. It's, um, it's part of that mystery Mm -hmm. that we perceive. We intuition is a marvelous, um, trait that we have that many of us don't trust. Mm -hmm. I have interviewed probably thousands of people for jobs to become students for all kinds of purposes. And 99% of the time I've made a decision within 10 seconds of meeting someone. And uh, you can't explain that by what we know about science yet. Is it how they dress? Is it how they talk? Is it how they smell? Is it how often they blink their eyes?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And almost, I'm almost always right. And it's just because I trust that intuition. And I think when we're around bees, we're around a creature that just has vast depths of, inter- of communication ability that uh, we know a bit about, but so much that we don't. I think that's one of the reasons we're riveted by honeybee behavior. Is, um, you just sense, whoa, there's stuff going on here that we just will never understand. Hmm. And, um, just a little bit that we do understand. It's amazing. Enough.
0: That's true. I, I, I found that like over time, especially as like being a beekeeper, I think you're like touching on it really, really well. Like for anyone who's never been a beekeeper, like go, there's, there's a lot of bee organizations in most communities. So you can like go check them out. They're like really fun. And most people are really excited about talking about their bees. So um, go check them out. They're a lot of fun. Um, especially when you can learn about them. There's just like so many uh, amazing things in terms of science and the things that aren't known. But I have found that like over time, like I, I have like, like when I was younger, I didn't like trust my instincts as much, but like over time, like the more you like, you rely on them. And then like, I always like, I add like a filter of things to it. Like I like hear them, but then like I try and like figure out where I was wrong or right. But like you are there like more often than not, like if you like are really exposing yourself to as many things as possible, like you're, you're picking up on different pathways that like help you see things instantaneously. Like we would normally take, you know, days and months to to figure things out. You know, like every time you experience something it's like a different pathway in your mind, I think there's like, um, early psychologist with uh it wasn't for i think it was like young there's like this uh, idea that it was like um evolved unconscious like our like ancestors fears or our fears i don't know if, how like true that stuff is but like we have like these irrational fears about the dark and all these other things but like some of those things make sense like they the dark could have like a scary person in there or something but the like, instincts are one of those crazy things there's a uh, there's a there's a couple of good talks on like an FBI, not necessarily like a profiler, but someone who like looks at body language and how like that just like that one thing helped him see like he he was able to detect like a KGB agent. Uh, this was like back in the 70s, but because the uh like the Russian people like they like carry flowers differently, and so he watched like this video of this person like carrying flowers around. He's like, oh that that person right there, there's something different about them. It took him like 10 minutes to like articulate what was different. But then they figured out like he carried flowers, not like a Western person does, but like a, I guess Russia is Western, but like they're more Eastern than West, but just like that little thing, like the, that little subtleness and the instincts is really, I, th- I think it's like a really impressive thing that is not talked about a lot. So I just wanted to emphasize a little bit with uh, an anecdote about how like an FBI agent was able to like detect whether or not someone was like a Russian agent in America or not, just based on like the the flower, like the, the littlest of things. But
1: if you're really familiar with bees. Uh, the the instant you open up a hive, you have a pretty good idea of what's going on inside the colony. Whether the queen is there, whether there's a problem, whether they're collecting honey. Um, so I think we we're, our perceptive ability stretches into the insect world as well as other people. Uh, it takes a little bit of experience, but when you've got some experience with bees, any beekeeper will tell you that as soon as they open the hive up, um, from the way they sound, where the bees are acting, they get a, they're, they're already... Getting a lot of information about whether they need to do anything in that hive or not.
0: In terms of like communicating effectively, um, a lot of people normally will see or hear learn about bees through like you know media and stuff like that or like movies. And I, I wonder if there's any good movies that, or maybe even documentaries that you like that you think communicates what it's like to be a beekeeper or around bees. Like one that I might suggest, I think it was called uh, Home Homes. It had uh, Ian McKellen. I think it's his name and he was like the old Sherlock Holmes and he was a beekeeper and he was trying to figure out a case that he was forgetting because he had dementia. It's a really good one, but like the way he interacted with the bees was like just the, this, I think it really captured it well, but I don't know if uh, if you have any uh, things that movies or um, documentaries that you think really capture what it's like.
1: The um, the best one I've seen is um, a movie called Uli's Gold stars Peter Fonda as a, who just passed away a week or so ago, unfortunately. He was also in movies like Easy Rider. But Peter Fonder plays a beekeeper who uh, was, had come back from Vietnam, you know, lots, lots of trouble. And the movie's a lot about him and his family, but he's a beekeeper. And the scenes of beekeeping in that movie are just breathtaking. And, um, you know, when the truck pulls up into the apiary and he's going out working the bees, I've never seen a movie that's quite captures that um, moments of being around bees as well as this one does actually kind of a i went to the preview here in vancouver and a lot of beekeepers got free tickets and there's one scene, there's one scene in that movie where uh, peter fonda is assembling frames and so he's taking the frame and he's hammering hammering the nails in and i remember so strongly these two beekeepers in front of me started arguing about whether he was using the right size nails or not <laughs> it's, the, it's a perfect beekeeping moment mm-hmm. you know beautiful pastoral movie about bees but there's also the practical side about so what size nails should we use when we put our frames together mm-hmm. just capture the whole range of uh, what beekeeping is all about
0: yeah i haven't checked that one out but i definitely will now that you've recommended it though we kind of uh, talked about this idea of some things that like are unknowable but before I like go on to like one of the other things that i want to talk about the um, i wonder if there's is there something that you wish you could know? Like you spent so many decades around bees. Is there like something that you're still working to understand or something that you're excited to delve into?
1: Well, one of the things we did in our research um, where lab was fairly known for was I worked on honeybee queen pheromone and we elucidated nine compounds. Um, It was one or two known when we started, but by the end of our work, we elucidated nine compounds that as a group, Made up one of your queen pheromone, but each of them probably does really different things. And um, if I'd continued that work, I think I really would have wanted to know uh, more about what is why did, why nine, why not one, and what is it that each of those nine compounds does that uh, gives it a unique place in the pantheon of uh, chemical signal. Well,
0: is there anything that's like stopping you from like I don't know advising or or getting back into research? Or are you just at the stage where you're doing other things?
1: I closed my lab down about 15 years ago.
0: Okay, <laughs> that'll do it.
1: Um, I made a lateral shift to my university and I founded our Center for Dialogue. Which mm-hmm. One of the ways the university engages with students and with the public and the community. And um, I didn't feel I could run my lab and that Center for Dialogue will. And so very reluctantly, I closed my lab down and um, walked away from the research world. I've stayed involved in the beekeeping world by writing and speaking, things like that, but uh, my research days are over. Mm. And there's some great research going on now by uh, the current generation of researchers, so I don't feel there's any gap that uh, needs me to come back.
0: Makes sense. the, um, so the, 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 one of the things I'm always interested in, uh, to learn about people, it, it's kind of like this idea of primal inclinations. Um, I don't think it's been kind of popularized by, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and, uh, Robert Green in some of their books but this idea that like, throughout your life, there's like some things that you naturally dra- gravitate towards. So like you and beekeeping, brighter research than to communication because of the pheromones and all, like all the things kind of like touched together. And, uh, there's this, uh, book by about, about Leonardo da Vinci that, um, uh, Walter Isaacson wrote. And in the, in the book, he talks about how Leonardo da Vinci would uh, kind of keep like a notebook with him where he's like going throughout his day and he would write down ideas or like things he was curious about. Like, why is a, why does some fish uh, swim faster than birds? If like you, it's lighter to go through air and stuff like that. Like what is the texture of like a woodpecker's tongue? Like, just like the, you know, like how curious of a mind his was. And I'm wondering if you look at your life, if there are, um, almost like journal entries where like you were really, really curious that helped show you the way to being a beekeeper and where you are today, um, that you wouldn't mind sharing. So that like other people listening might be able to like resonate with like their own lives. Cause I think a lot of people, in my generation, or at least the people that I talk with that are listening to this podcast, a lot of them, like they have a lot of, you know, they're really like, they want to do good things, but it's like, um, like they're like so many choices that they don't know how to like, uh, listen to what their interests are. So I always like to hear like, where people's interest came from and like what are the moments that they saw different parts of it? So if you could like look at your life like a Leonardo da Vinci journal that you were keeping and like writing down stuff like that as like a like a, a lens to, to look at your life. I don't know if you need that lens, but it's uh the way I frame it
1: Well, when I was younger, I've kept different kinds of journals today I don't keep a journal, but I do have a book actually two very thick books now of quotes Whenever I'm uh, reading a book and a language really appeals to me for some reason I write it down and by following those, I understand that different phases in my life I've been interested in um, different things. Currently, I'm quite interested in memory and uh, what's real and what's what's imagined. As a writer, that's um, a really cr- critical question when you're writing nonfiction, is uh, you put together stories from your past and um, did they happen that way? Or is this just your memory? And it is your, what's more important, what's in your memory or the way something actually happened. But, Long, long ago, I I had a little notebook I would keep called Naturalist Notes, which was basically me roaming around the woods and the forests and the jungles. Anything interesting, I would write down. And um, I had caused I wrote a book. The last book is called Listening to the Bees. It's about um, it was written, co-written with a poet. And there's a piece in there about actually the introductory piece called I think it is called Naturalist Notes about um, how that record eventually led me to uh, led me to Bees. I think if there's anything consistent that I would see throughout my whole career is an interest in community and collaboration and cooperation. I have always had a bedrock viewpoint that we are much better together than we are alone. And that collaboration, cooperation, collegiality is a much better path towards success and happiness and accomplishment than greed and um, being in in life fear just for yourself
0: mm. the
1: one reason I was both attracted to honeybees but I think honeybees also um, amplified that in my life I think it was naturally there but spending so much time with bees really drew that uh, drew that trait out so if there's any one thing that I found maybe consistent through all of my thinking and my writing it's that, um, that belief in um, community mm. cooperation dialogue interaction, getting to know each other on a more intimate level. Um, I've really moved away from debate and argument that just doesn't interest me anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily the best way to resolve problems. I like to resolve problems the way bees do, which is gather lots of information and then think about what's really there, what's really the way forward for the common good rather than just for myself. Mm-hmm. Bodily we find the greatest personal satisfaction when we do things for others.
0: The, um, it reminds me of the, I think it's an African proverb where it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to change the world, like, yeah, like you have to build a group or like, I always butcher it. I should look it up. But like the basic proverb is that we're like, like, um, where a lot of people will try and go really, really fast, but then do it by themselves. But like the, the best way to like actually make a difference is like, you know, be more community minded. And, um,
1: my research career I've had I believe 115 co-authors on my papers and um, so they're all richer because of the people I collaborated with. Mm-hmm.
0: The, I think there's like this idea that you mentioned this uh, um, about getting to know people on like a deeper level and I talk to a lot of people through my podcast and like I try to go to as many conferences as I can. I've noticed that like like there's a, a lot of times people ask questions and it's almost like they're not really interested in the answer. And like, you have to like, I'm, I'm leading to like the, the question of like, what are some ways have you found to like dig deeper and like make a meaningful connection with others? But I've just, um, I noticed like one of the things that is helpful, like when I, when, when people ask like, how are they doing? I like to answer first, like so and like model how the, like how I'd like to answer the question, which is like an authentic way versus like saying like, fine, I'm great. Like you can say, you can say, I'm not having a good day because A, B, and C, but I'm excited to like meet people like yourself. Um, that makes people like, oh, okay, like this person's actually trying to have a, a meaningful conversation versus like those little snapshot things that most people have where it's a lot of like, like a handshake, like, how are you doing? Fine. Um, then how are you doing? Great. Like there's like like, no meaning in like uh, uh, small talk like that. Um, but I'm curious, like how have you, uh, what are some ways that you found to like make those like more meaningful conversations happen? Um, yeah.
1: Well, probably the single greatest tool is um to be really curious about other people and genuinely curious and genuinely interested uh a lot of us fake it and when you fake it, people people detect that and we know we know that you're not really that interested and so we don't know so being curious i think is um one way uh being vulnerable yourself being willing to tell people you know here's here's a good stuff in my life but here's stuff that maybe isn't so great and uh, that really opens up people um about modeling is key. Um, I do a lot of facilitation work. And the way we start out in the first five minutes really sets the tone for the meeting. Uh, if I'm listening to other people, if I make sure that nobody's monopolizing the conversation, uh, and we do that in the first five minutes, without anybody knowing it, they'd spend the rest of the day that way. Hmm. If we let people would be bombastic. If we let people make speeches, if we let people um, go on and on and on. Then everybody will model that, and that's what you get. How you start is really important. Um, But I don't think there's anything more important than being genuinely interested in other people. If you have that interest and that curiosity, and you're willing to share some of yourself, uh, that's when people will go deep with you. Mm.
0: There's a, I know there's the equine therapy where people like basically work with horses to like work on their emotional trauma of their life. Um, just from this conversation, I wish there was like some like uh, a therapy. Cause it seems like, like it really does frame like a very healthy mindset. Um, the group
1: I was talking to you about highest free humanity. Um, there are people here on the street who are you know, taking a lot of drugs. They're as hyped up and wired up and their lives are as crazy as you can imagine. But when they come into the apiary, they slow down, they calm down your lives get much less jangly and much more, much smoother. And all it takes is just spending a little time working the bees. I've seen this happen over and over again with the, you know, people with sometimes quite difficult lives outside the apiary. They walk in and it's a whole other world. Uh, And it doesn't work for everybody, but for people who do connect with the bees, it's, um, it's marvelous therapy. And it spills over into their lives. Like highest humanity has a lot of, um, who have been with them now for many, many years, whose lives started out pretty bedraggled. And um, gradually, as they spend more time working with the bees and they have a community of people they're with, they become uh, calmer. Maybe they um, find they're not using drugs as much. They become, they feel like they have a purpose, they mm-hmm. become a member of a community, and uh, they crave that relaxing feeling to get around the bees more than they crave what's going on on the streets Hmm. it's very effective and it is therapy it's not billed as therapy nobody charges them a hundred dollars an hour to come in and have a therapeutic interaction with the bees
0: Hmm. same outcome that's interesting the um i want i I wish now reflecting on this conversation as, as we're talking and i feel like i should have invited more people over to hang out with my bees when i uh because i travel a lot so um I just feel like uh one of the best things like a beekeeper can do is like en- encourage people to come out. Cause it does, it does seem like there's a lot of value in just being around them that I know I, a lot of people, I don't I keep saying like a lot of people, like that's like kind of like an empty statement, but some of the people I've spoken with, they try to do like meditation to get that same type of mindset. Um, and it's just like this idea of breaking from that pattern of like not being where you are in the moment. And, uh, and, um, you know, thinking about like, Oh, you have a grocery list when you're talking with people and that you're talking about it as well. Like this idea, like be really curious, like, like if you're, if you're thinking about your grocery list, then you're not like really engaged with who you're talking with because if that, like, well, how could a grocery list be all that interesting? That's a really boring idea. Um, but like, I think, I think that I, I should, uh, and definitely have invited more people. I'm going to like move forward to uh, try and get more people to come out to my beehives and check them out. Cause I think there's like this weird fear around bees and i think it's just like hornets like people have a lot of bad horn uh hornet stories but um the uh so one of the one of the things that i i wanted to touch on is this idea that i get like uh, people a lot of my friends ask me kind of like silly not silly questions like cause they're they're generally concerned about like what's going on with bees and there's like so many different things going on and i think in, in one of your talks you said it really well like it's not or one of your, one of the things you're written like it all just kind of gets smashed in my head is one thing but um you talked about how it's not like one thing that's hurting the bees. It's like several things coming together creating like kind of like a perfect storm. And so uh, kind of like a, a, like a myth versus facts thing. Um, One of my, uh, one of the people wrote me in preparation for this, this uh, talk, and they wondered, and it's, it's cool if you don't have these answers, but like, I don't know where these ideas came from. Um, This idea that like 5g or 4g is apparently harmful to bees. I was trying to research on this and I, I haven't found anything on it. I was wondering if you found anything that suggests that like somehow Wi-Fi or, or like internet access is somehow bad for bees? Um, no, I, think, I feel like that's a myth. There's
1: absolutely no truth to that. Yeah. There's an interesting story, though, about how information gets, um, gets spread and how difficult it sometimes is for the public to know what science is re- reliable and what isn't. Many years ago, probably 15 or 20 years ago, when wireless and Wi-Fi were first getting popular, uh, there was a a Russian guy who took two hives and he turned on a cell phone in one of them and not a cell phone in the other. And the one hive that had the cell phone didn't produce as much honey. So he wrote a little abstract for some very obscure meeting and the Guardian newspaper from England picked it up and they did this front page story about how cell phone use uh, is killing bees. And newspapers, media all over the world picked it up. It became an absolutely major story and it was based on this one guy who had taken two hives and compared them, which is terrible science. You can't just take one hive and compare it to another. You need quite a bit more to get any kind of a decent replicate. And um, it became um, it became one of those um, things that people think is are fact that have no basis in fact whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: been subsequent research that was a little more rig- rigorous that showed that um, no effects at all. Uh, very, very high intensity electrical wires might affect bees. The, not most of the, not the ones you have in your home, but some of the really high um, transmission lines that are you know have um, super, super high voltage. If you put a colony right under that, you might have some impacts. But mm-hmm. cell phones, all that kind of stuff, absolutely not mm-hmm. uh, you know urban myth.
0: I feel like news people should probably be held to a higher standard because there's there's a lot of stuff like that nowadays where like some small uh person will do something then they blow it up and it makes people, you know, cuz like they're seeing it in the uh, you know like the the Guardian or, or the New York Times. they feel like it's a serious thing cuz why would they cover if it wasn't a, a, a real thing? And then it gets propagated in a very negative way. Are there other uh, myths that you've come across that are like that idea or I mean maybe not like that idea and that the guy built up, but uh, things like 5G that you think that people I know I hear that people think, uh, I try reading this as well. I don't have an answer for this, but the, that like feeding bees sugar somehow unhealthy for them, which I think like the logic tracks in terms of like, if you feed like human sugar, it wouldn't be good for us all the time. It would, you know, give you diabetes.
1: Feeding bees honey is better for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and feeding bees sugar repeatedly, um, might be a small contributor to the problems that bees have. Um, but, it's, I would put it, relatively low on the list. I think the best beekeepers feed relatively little sugar and try to leave more honey for the bees. Honey is, you know, it's already broken down into the kind of sugars that bees can use. It has other substances in it, minerals and vitamins, and things like that. And so it's a better food to feed than sugar. Mm-hmm. But eating bees' sugar in the fall so they don't starve during winter is uh, better than letting them die. Mm-hmm. But, um, optimally, honey is, uh, would be preferable but I wouldn't say it's sugar. That's killing bees.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I kind of, kind of buried the lead there in that question, which was, uh, uh then I, I asked that one, but, uh, are there other things like that, that you found that, uh, you'd love to, cause there's probably going to be at least like 50, 50, like some people know a lot about bees. Some people don't in terms of listening to this. So are there other ones that you, uh, you tend to like to not get asked at cocktail parties cause they come up a lot so we could like answer them now so that you wouldn't have to answer them in the future
1: well i will answer the one you didn't actually ask this question but you began our interview with um what i would have to call an extreme prejudice against wasps okay and um this time of year i get a lot of calls from media every year it's the same thing oh the wasps are much worse this year why and um usually they're not any worse one year than another some some years are a little better some a little worse but people start noticing them at this time of year because the colonies are quite big But hornets, wasps, or social wasps, are um, very beneficial organisms. They're excellent pest controllers. They'll go out and eat aphids and many, many other insect pests. They scavenge. Um, They are on balance ecological um, positives. And like most insects, they're not gonna bother you unless you bother them. They may be a bit more aggressive than honeybees, uh, certainly more aggressive than um, honeybees or bumblebees are. But if they're buzzing you, they're not gonna sting you unless you do something to annoy them. Mm -hmm. And the wasps that you have around your picnic, you know, they're just looking for something to eat. And rather than trying to kill them, I would advise people to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Realize that it's really good to have a lot of wasps because that means we're probably needing to use less pesticides on our crops. I would view pesticides on crops as a considerably worse problem than wasps.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, my meanness towards wasps is more because they keep trying to sting me. The, um, I try not to, to. Yeah, I try to just kind of let them live and their level.
1: Really trying to sting you? Why? Uh,
0: do
1: they, why do they
0: want to
1: sting you. Because I don't
0: know. It, no. I, I just sit outside on my balcony and then they try to like burrow in my face. I, well, I don't, I don't. I don't like kill them unless they sting me, because I think they they live after the sting. But I, I agree with you. I have been kind of mean to them. And I haven't.
1: I haven't to, well, they're just looking for something to eat. Yeah. They might have salt on your face if you just sit there calmly. It's extremely unlikely they're going to sting you. As soon as you get nervous and agitated and start waving your arms around, that's when they get they get nervous and they then they feel threatened. Mm-hmm. But, of course, most people are not comfortable just calmly waiting for a wasp to go away. I get that. But I think we should need to balance our fear of wasps with an understanding that uh, they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. We, and uh, the more wasps that are out there, the fewer pesticides we use. And pesticides, to me, are um, considerably worse problem than anything that insects are playing.
0: So, like, uh, wasps are more like bees in that they don't really atta- – I'm, like, literally later I'm going to try out sitting out there and, like, not really responding to them and see how it works. I won't blame you if it doesn't go well, but I, I definitely am going to try and, like
1: – Probably would attack you.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just figured they – I don't know. They're weird. I Honestly, now that you've you called me on it, I do not know why I think they're jerks other than the fact that they try and get my face a lot. Or they try and burrow my ears. I just like that. It's a particularly, cause I, I don't know why. I, like I watched this movie where cockroaches lived in this person's ear. It's always been a fear of mine. So when things go in my, like an insect goes in my ear, it kind of wears me out. But later I'm going to experiment with this. I won't blame you if they sting me. Cause I'll, I, you know, it's probably something I did, but, uh, I didn't, I thought they were like, like bees were like, you know, like kind of like teddy bears and, uh, hornets were like, I don't know, like a jackal or something that would come out and like mess with me. But I, you, you definitely know more. So I'm going to try and experiment with this. And I'll leave my, uh, my results in the show notes or in the intro and outro and see how it works. But, yeah. uh, even, even with that, it's anecdotal. Give it a try. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna try it out. I appreciate the call out, the cause you never know. And it's it's pretty clear I was being mean to them, but, um, but, uh, yeah, I thought they were like mean ones. I thought they were like Africanized bees or something that they would just sting people. Africanized
1: bees are not particularly mean either unless they're attacked or perceived they're attacked. Hmm. Um. But- a bee out foraging on a flower, an Africanized bee, is not looking for something to bite or sting. They're looking to collect food. African bees are more sensitive to um, somebody getting close to their nest than the European-derived bees we were more used to. So in that sense, they can be more defensive. Wasps are the same way. If you approach their nest, they're going to come out and sting you. And mm-hmm. if they're out foraging for food, their interest is not in um, stinging Why would they want to sting you? Distracts them from their main purpose, which is to bring food back to the nest mm. uh, they'll only sting you if they feel threatened and they feel threatened by the way we wave our arms around or get you know try to swat them away that's when they, that's when they may be more likely to sting than a honeybee. Mm. The threshold for being defensive might be a bit lower, but keep in mind they're being the only reason they're going to go after you is defense they're not aggressive
0: mm. Well, I'll definitely experiment on that. I appreciate you uh, uh, going that route with the question because uh, I can directly uh, experiment and, and uh, change the way I've used something, especially that I'm going to interact with them like every day for the rest of my life. They like to make little nests on my balcony. I'm I'm literally I'm staring at one slightly right now. But um, so I appreciate that. So, um, so one of the things that I've been getting a lot of is this idea that there's uh, kind of like tech or different techniques coming into beekeeping that people are. I don't know, like maybe ambivalent about like whether or not like having like humidity, Wi Fi sensor things are really going to help people or the bees out in any noticeable way. But I'm curious if there is, um, what are your thoughts on like this idea of there's, I think there's a company in Israel that's making like little ro- robot bees that'll communicate to, they'll do like little dance that bees do, like let them know where to go, uh, for instance. But uh, what are your thoughts on like this emerging technology that, either seeks to integrate or uh, supplement the bees as like they go through like the challenging periods right now?
1: I call them just party tricks. Mm. You can make a robot bee that'll dance and um, they code it with pheromones and maybe uh, worker bee will follow that and be recruited to a particular place. But is that really practical and why? If we intend to go to these high-tech solutions, when we'd be much better off just being a little more sensitive to what nature needs and what nature can do. Bees without these high-tech devices have done perfectly fine without our introducing robots into their hives. But when we denude the environment of nectar and pollen sources, when we spray pesticides all over the place that interact with each other and with the bees, uh, then you know we're creating, a, we're creating situations where um, bees are going to have more difficulty. I'd rather get at the root cause of how balanced our world is between bees and the environment around them than try to invent some robot that nobody would ever be able to afford that besides being a cute trick has no real potential practical function. Hmm. A lot of things around bees, people, people are always intrigued by inventing some electronic device that will solve some problem that we've caused because we are denuding nature of the um, things that bees need. I'm not, they're, they're cute they're curious we learn things from them, but practical hardly. Mm.
0: I know uh, you mentioned a couple times I definitely want to uh, echo and allow this to be talked about, which is this idea of uh, pesticides being the biggest thing. One of the biggest one of the big things coming uh, hurting bees. Um, I know that uh, it, the US is not doing well in terms of uh, regulating what pesticides are being used. But I think there's some like new stuff coming up. Hopefully, I was reading about either either in the U.S. or the EU, has uh, is working towards outlawing some of them. I think the EU has outlawed a lot of the pesticides that does that. I don't know about Canada. Uh, hopefully, you guys are more progressive. But um, how how is like on balance? Like, is Canada? Are you seeing us move towards a a, a state where we're being more mindful of these pesticides? Because I I was I was reading a, a friend of mine was got into beekeeping down in Florida, and uh, he came home one day and it was like all his bees like dropped dead and it was because like, uh, his neighbor or something like that, like sprayed pesticides at the same time. And he, they did it at a, a bad time. So like the wind was more, uh, aggressive that day, not aggressive, but like just more windy. And so it like went to his property when it wasn't supposed to. So like wiped them all out. But, um, other than just being mindful about the days, I'm just curious, like, uh, are there other good ways that we can be mindful and supportive of, uh, using healthy practices and, uh,
1: well the U S is, um, in a regulatory sense, as a third world country when it comes to pesticides and it's getting worse, I'd, I'd rate us right uh, right down at the bottom of the heat with China, which is, mm-hmm. has, has even worse pesticide practices. Canada is just beginning to regulate some of the pesticides more strictly. We've, um, over the next four or five years, we're phasing out some of the pesticides that have been most problematic. The EU is uh, clearly ahead of um, anywhere in North America, anywhere in the world, really. At a stricter, more careful pesticide uh, regulation, it's not that all pesticides are bad, but like anything toxic, when it's overused, it creates the side effects that are um, hardly worth what we're putting up with. So, you know, the United States has a very, very long way to go to uh, move into a um, a more sensible pesticide regulatory environment. Right now, its um, regulation is I wouldn't say non-existent, but it's um, pretty primitive compared to uh, where where it needs to be and where it is in other places in the world.
0: Hmm. I've been reading a lot about how like the EEO does better in terms of, uh, I I, I'm from a farm. I grew up on a farm um, when I was a young board hog. Um, That's really nerdy joke. But um, when I was young, I grew up on a farm and I like helped raise a lot of animals. And so like, I tend to like try and learn more about agriculture, wherever I go, even though I went to school for like neuroscience and stuff. And, uh, but the EU, I think they even have like these, uh, I think they're called, uh, B B highways where they, they've like set aside parts of land to be particularly set up. Like maybe they add like bee houses, like the Mason bee hides, uh, being like the little, uh, two things you can buy for like 10 bucks on the internet. Um, I, th- I know like through Norway, there's like a bunch of more, like the bees basically can go up and down and, and, uh, all around, which is, uh, sometimes hard to do because in the United States with like all the monocultures and stuff, like it's hard to get from like one side of us, like the, the, a really good example of this that most people can uh, imagine, like listening in at home is like, um, you know, if you've ever seen like deer trying to get across the street, like how many times you've seen a, a dead deer on the side of the road? Well, that bottlenecks of the genetics. Cause like you just created an artificial barrier that is like weeding out, you know, a lot of the, 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 the deer, of uh, genetics, cause they're not being able to like get get across very easily. And so in the same sense, maybe not as a uh, visible to most people is like this idea that like for native bee species, it's hard to get from like, like do their natural, like exploration and expansion because like of these uh, like invisible highway type things. But I was reading that in Nor- uh, Norway, they have like these like type of bee highways. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in uh, the EU that seems to be better. I, when I was like, maybe like five, 10 years ago, they were working on creating like a bee highway front in, um in Illinois, but I think it just became talk. Like it never became anything, which is like, it's like half the frustration. Like people talk about doing things, but then they don't like like fall through, which maybe it's just like enough. People didn't say like, yeah, we're interested in that for that to work out. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer on that one, but.
1: There have been some improvement. There have been really no improvements that I know of around pesticides in the United States since bees have been dying, but there have been some improvements in conservation of bee habitat both in, particularly in cities, but also um, there's some programs for farmers who can um, create conservation zones for bees. And uh, well, I wouldn't say that was huge, but, um, it's definitely helped and made some inroads. So some of those projects, you know, that you see a little bit of that in the United States, that's a, that's a positive
0: thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in Texas right now, and apparently if you have like six or more hives, you get like a tax credit, which is kind of a nice thing um, or tax rebate, which, um, I know it's a little thing to say, like it's a good thing. Um, but so, um, let's see. Okay. The kind of a, this is a, I'm going to ask like this question two times. One is like about beekeeping and bees specifically. And then one's like more general, but, um, what is a problem that you wish you could see resolved? And I think I, I, I have a feeling like what you might answer, but I'm curious, like what is, in terms of beekeeping or uh, our problem with, uh, yeah, I'll just make it about beekeeping in this one. What is a problem that you've been seeing that you wish we could, we could solve? And is there any tentative solutions that you've seen that people might want to like clue in on and uh, be aware of?
1: Um, I don't think it's a problem with beekeeping. I think it's a problem with agriculture. Pesticide use in large monocrop farms are among the worst problems for bees. And uh, there's a solution It's called sustainable farming. And uh, there's lots and lots, depending on the crop, there's just a great array of methodology that you can farm sustainably and product product uh, productively. But the way U.S. farming works is so addicted to um, high chemical use and the way the lobby groups work and the way the farm subsidies work, it's not really in the farmer's interest to change that. Um, but sustainable farming, and not necessarily even organic. Organic farming is great, but there's other, you know, somewhat less rigorous ways that you might call sustainable. Mixed mix croppings and reduced pesticide use. Um, you know, The list goes on and on. Uh, I would look, if there's one thing I could change, it would be that. And I'm quite confident that if we did that, bees, uh, honey bees, all bees would do quite a bit better.
0: All right. Then, um, the second, these are like the, just a, like, like as a people listening in that are new, I like to ask like some of the same questions of all my guests as like a, like a, as an end cap, uh, for the talk. But, um, so what is a problem that you're having that you'd like help with that maybe someone listening could help in on? Um, it could be a small thing. could be a big thing. Some people, some people, uh, uh, will ask for, uh, uh, some silly stuff, but some people will be like, I'm working on a, uh, this project and I love if, if people could show your support by sharing it, et cetera. Could be anything.
1: Right now I'm working on um, doing a lot of facilitation work around a more health-based approach to drug use and addiction in Canada. And um, there's an area in both the United States and Canada, we need a lot of help in. And I think we have to start moving away from uh, the criminality and punishment modes of how we view drug use and start looking at it a lot more as a health issue and create you know, healthier, more supportive environments, more programming, you know, more support systems for individuals that are uh, having difficulty with addiction. Um, I think that's something we all need a lot of help in. Mm-hmm. So something I'd like to see uh, society-wide, partly because that's where my focus is right now. Um, I'd just like to see people become a little more understanding of why people might have addiction problems and a little more creative about um, how we might move towards uh, better solutions than we've had so far.
0: Mm-hmm. But I a hundred percent agree with that sentiment. Like we, especially in the United States, I don't know how the rest of the world does, does it, but in the United States, like it's like a, I think it's like a war on drugs. Like it's such an aggressive way of viewing it. And it's like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a health, it's like you said, a, really, really well. Like it's a health problem. Like it's let's, let's get, you know, like don't send them to jail. Let's get them the help that they need so they can come and be productive members of society. Like, I think there's always like this weird dichotomy with like mental illness or mental health issues and like physical health problems. Like if you have a broken arm, like no one's going to arrest you for it. But like you, you know, if you have an addiction problem, it's like, all right, well, we're not going to give you the support you need to stay out of, you know, prison, which is really sad. Um, Is there the project you're working on uh, is there a good link for people to check it out that you uh or a a good like url for them to check out
1: um there's a group called the canadian drug policy coalition sweet um that's the group i'm working with i would check out their website canadian drug policy coalition it's called cdpc
0: sweet um the next question i have is uh what is isn't Unanswered question that you wonder about that you'd love an an, the uh, the answer to. So like the example I give, this is kind of like a a, more of a grandiose one, um, but I always wonder, you know, if the Big Bang made the universe, what would happen if we went back in time and like stopped the Big Bang from happening? Like what would be here instead? And then what would happen if you went before the Big Bang happened? But uh, my physics my physicist friends say that there's no before the Big Bang because it established the timeline. But I wonder these things, like what if it, what if you could stop it, and like what would be here? It bugs me. I don't, I don't know why. But uh, is what's a what's something you wonder about that uh, you don't have the answer to, but uh, you'd love the answer to?
1: I think I'd probably go uh, pretty similar to you. Is um, you know, how did we get here? Why are we here? Is there a reason behind it all? Um, the Big Bang to me is completely incomprehensible, you know, when you learn, when you hear from physicists about how tiny the universe was and how quickly it expanded in milliseconds to hundreds of millions of light years and billions of light years in size and and how it expands and contracts. Um, I think that's the great mystery is uh, how did it all get here? Mm -hmm. And the meaning behind it, Um, you know, is there a God, is there a deity? Does it mean is all life meaningless? Uh, those are the big unanswerable questions that we all wonder about. Uh, I'm not sure. I actually want an answer, though. I think I'm pretty happy living in a world of um, uncertainty. As a scientist, I love to find out the things we can find out. But I'm also um, a person of deep faith who enjoys the uh, enjoys the unknown. Mm-hmm. Appreciates the fact that we're. I'm never going to know what this is all about. I'm here for such a blink of an eye, and once I'm gone, you know, who knows where you go.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: this, I, don't know but, I don't know. if I want the answer.
0: Yeah. I've never, um, I never. I wonder the same things. You know what the purpose of life is. I never wonder if I actually would want the answer. I just like wondering things. I think it's like it's like an enjoyable thing to kind of like puzzle things about and try and figure things out for yourself and create like your own truth for things. There's a, there's a good book that, uh, I recommend a lot. I, I, I you, you might've already read it, but, uh, it's called a man search for Meaning* by Victor E. Frankel. I think it's like a, a pretty good, um, starter in terms of like finding like a, a meaning centered life. I don't know if you've uh, checked it out or not, but uh, I definitely recommend it if you haven't, it's re- it's pretty good. Um, which leads me to my,
1: good.
0: Uh, which leads me to my last question, which is, uh, are, are there good books? or resources you recommend uh, to people or about like, I don't know, I could give you an age bracket, but like that's too like marketing, but um, other than your own, cause like all your, all your books and stuff you read uh, written will be in the show notes for people to check out. And I'll talk, I'll give a couple of recommendations after in the outro, but are there some uh, resources you rec- uh, recommend people check out maybe on uh, addiction and, um, that you found to be very good? Uh, I think there was a, there's a, a, a little a, a mini series that uh, last week today did. On the opioid epidemic, which I thought was pretty good, because I talked to some opioid uh, experts on that, which I, I thought was really good. But I'm curious, are there some through uh, resources you'd suggest? I
1: don't know about addiction. Um, there's so many books I read; it's really hard to recommend. Any. In terms of um, my good friend Tom Seely is a fantastic writer. There's a new book out called The Lives of Bees. There's another one called Honeybee Democracy. Mm. Here. Many of uh, Tom's writing. Um, it's a great book out from the early 1900s by Maurice Metterlink. One of the most beautiful poetic pieces you can imagine about uh, I would certainly recommend that.
0: And that was Mark Winston. Check him out, Winston hive.com exactly how you'd imagine it's spelled also check out the show notes for more links about him and what he's been working on fantastic author guest writer please tell me what you think of this episode and talk to you next week and you can listen to the rest of my outro in a second if there's someone that you want to have me interview let me know i will add them there's still a little room and i'm filling finishing up but you should get a lot of b content this month they talk about b week we're getting a b month additionally remember to check out in the show notes the link to the website for the crowdfunding campaign that I'm gonna be running soon. If you've liked the the podcast, if you've liked the episode, if you wanna help out, check the link, sign up, share it with your friends, and every, every person, every time you get someone to sign up, any of this type of information is another chance that you're gonna win. One of the things that I'm making, and what I'm making is basically a modern beehive. I'm talking stainless steel, aerogel insulation, sensors, uh, data analytics, all that stuff, easily accessible 24 seven. And that's going to be the crowdfunding campaign, but don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter, at Lowell Was Here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends, please and thank you.